Well, Merry Christmas again. We're so glad you are, um, you're worshiping with us on this, on this Christmas Eve. We understand there are a lot of family traditions and their schedules to balance. We're glad you are here to, to worship. But, uh, you know, some of my, some of my fondest memories as, as a kid revolved around the holidays, around Christmas. And yet, you know, for the most part, we pretty much did the same things, probably the same things that your family did, right? We'd maybe come to a service like this, we'd gather with our family, we had cousins, we had uncles, aunts, grandparents, open up presents, have um, a big meal. You know, our family decorations didn't change that much. They were the same. There's not much that changed year to year in how our family celebrated Christmas. And yet, despite that fact, we still look forward to Christmas every single year, though things really don't change. I think in our world that is constantly changing or upgrading or updating, you know, there's new bells and whistles on on all of our stuff. I think it is calming to us that we can come to Christmas time and we know that the story doesn't change. It doesn't need an update. I mean, the Bible, the story of Jesus being born doesn't need to change. And I look forward to reading it every year and nothing changes in it, but it's still good news for us. It's news to rejoice in. And I think it calms us and gives us some stability in a world that's constantly changing. It's almost kind of like a, like a, like a reset for us. So I want us to read again, these seven verses from Luke chapter two. If you find a Bible in front of you, you can turn there, or you can just listen to the words. It's on page 857 of that Bible. I, I do want to ask us to stand as we listen to these seven verses from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the rest of uh, this story tomorrow morning, but we'll just do the first seven verses tomorrow. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son in this world. Help us treasure him in our hearts tonight. Spirit, help us. Amen. Please be seated. I do want to point out... um, my honest first observation when I, when I read this text, um, when I read this text last week, my first observation was, this is one of the most underwhelming stories in the Bible. And I say that because I mean, we know this is a huge moment, climactic moment, and yet the account that we're given, it's not that exciting. There are more details, it seems like, about the Roman leaders and the census and taxes than there are about the actual birth of Jesus. It's kind of like Luke wrote all this and said, oh yeah, by the way, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. First glance, it seems underwhelming. 
Now, before this, there's a ton of miraculous stuff going on. After this, there's big things happening. We have angels speaking to shepherds, all of that. You know, Mary is conceived before this as a virgin. That's a kind of a big deal, right? Shepherds, angels, but here the birth details are quite unspectacular. And that is intentional. It mentions here Caesar Augustus, right? The leader of the Roman Empire orders a, a census, a registration to happen. And his governors, like Quinieris here, help this census take place. So all the people had to travel back, even if they're living away, had to travel back to their hometown where their family lineage is home to be counted so they could properly give their taxes. Taxes do not scream excitement at Christmas time, do they? So Joseph takes his soon to be uh, his pregnant wife soon to give birth, Mary to his hometown of Bethlehem, which is probably not an enjoyable journey. From the family line of David, so he has to go where David's family line is from. So he goes to Bethlehem, and while they're there to talk about taxes and register as citizens of the Roman Empire, what happens? Verse 6, very uh, directly and without any specifics says, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because unfortunately there was no room for them in the inn. And that is the story of Jesus' birth. All right, tomorrow we'll look at the shepherds, look at the angels reacting, but for the birth account, there is no royal red carpet rolled out. Right? There's no trumpets blasting that the king has been born. There's not even you know, an upgraded hospital room for this couple. The birth of Jesus is marked by how humble and lowly and ordinary it is. You have Mary and Joseph who have been enduring mocking and shaming and gossip. Mary's pregnant before marriage, which back then would be a criminal offense in Jewish law. Joseph is taking care of her and now has to travel with her to his hometown. Both of them are poor, have little prestige, and the reason why they are home is not because their family is throwing them a baby shower. It's because they are getting their tax information established. They are so lowly and ignored and forgotten and just mild people, and there's not even room for them to stay in a proper place. Now think about what we know about this baby being born, right? This baby who's going to be swaddled. This baby may have been born in in Bethlehem to, to Mary and to Joseph, and yet this baby is God, God eternal, who always was, always is, and always will be. This baby is God himself, and he is before the Roman Empire, and he is after the Roman Empire. He's the ruler over all empires and over all kingdoms, the king of the universe, and yet here he comes as a baby and has a family, and they're registering at a census. His family has to be considered legal and pay their taxes, though Jesus, this baby, is the one who is over Caesar in Rome, the one who created the Roman Empire, has to actually be counted by the Roman Empire. Do you see the humility of Jesus here? And though he deserved a a parade of welcoming, a golden crib and a golden palace, he was welcomed here at first by no one but the animals in the stable, most likely. Stuck where the animals were, the king of the universe, God himself was born as if he was a nobody, and though he is the only somebody. 
Why is it like this? Why is this so underwhelming and lacking so much prestige? Well, it's because the coming of Jesus to earth was for the very point of humbling himself to the point of death so that he could save a humanity like us. Right? He didn't come to strong arm the empire or accumulate riches or win that next political election. He came to be a servant. He is marked as a servant, a humble servant willing to lay his life down in all of its aspects for us. Even in his birth, Jesus reveals his love to us, his love to you, that he's come to serve us. He doesn't want us to confuse salvation in heaven and God's kingdom with the values of this world, right? He doesn't come with money or earthly power or prestige. Those are the values of the world. He comes with a heart of love and a heart of service, even in his birth, We just read this for the Advent candle, but in Philippians 2, it says, And being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came to empty himself, taking the form of a servant, humbling, dying on a cross. Why? To save you and I, to bring us into the kingdom of God. And all of Jesus' life are like his birth, always humble, rejected by the people in the world, mocked, made fun of. He was arrested, though he did nothing wrong, nailed to a cross, though he was no criminal. He died for our sins, though he had no sins of his own. He did nothing but to humbly come and serve and love us. So this birth, this birth story here, these seven verses reveals that Jesus is nothing but a lowly servant. And he came to serve us, to lay down his life for us so that we can be lifted to heaven, right? He went down so we can go up, that we can find peace with God. The story of Christmas is a story that God so loved our world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but find eternal life. He lived perfectly, He died in our place, and he resurrects to life, and he is offering all of that to us, and that's why he was born. The birth of Jesus, this baby we imagine being swaddled, that is God's pursuit of you. So as Mary is swaddling her firstborn son, and Joseph, you know, is looking down upon them, they're entrusted to take care of the Savior of the world. I mean, think about this. The king of the universe is being swaddled. The king is laying in an animal feeding trough. There are animals around them, which means there's a stench. There's this royal entrance for the king. This is what it is. He may look like a nobody to the world, but he is the one who's going to save the world from their sins. The very man who by becoming life will bring life and joy to a world that's desperately seeking it. So Christmas is all about God coming to save us out of his love 
And each year we talk about the same thing time and time again. Why? Because there is no greater story than the story of God pursuing sinners like us. This baby wrapped in swaddling cloths will one day be the man who is nailed to a cross and the same man who is walking out of the empty tomb. And yes, the same man who one day will return again to usher in his new creation. So what matters now is what we do with these humble seven verses. What do we do with this baby wrapped in a manger? The proper response is to look at what Jesus did and to humble ourselves. Christ didn't come rich or with earthly power or with the best resume. He came as a humble servant so you and I can find relief and stop pursuing the things of this world like prestige or self-fulfillment or finding my own way that actually don't give us the way that we want. The God of life came humbly and that should teach us something. The way up is to go down and what we need to do is get on our knees before this manger and bow our knee to the king. Not to the world, not to my sin, not to myself, but to look at Jesus and say, you are the way to eternal life. He came that we may be saved and to actually give us the joy that we long for in life. I mean, tomorrow's a fun day, right? I mean, you hear, you hear the kids, right? There's presents and traditions, there's food, there's cookies, right? Again, I, I still vividly remember as a kid, my, my kind of interior feelings regarding getting my first bike as a kid, right? The, the joy and the excitement I had, the happiest day of my childhood, right? So much joy. And that is exactly what Jesus wants to give to us for all of eternity, the joy of being in his presence, reconciled, no longer enemies. So that joy, parents, you're going to see tomorrow in your kids cannot compare to the joy that's found in salvation. Grandparents, the joy you're going to feel by being around those grandkids and your family and those traditions, that can't compare to the joy that Jesus will bring to you. And if we bow our knee before this baby King Jesus, that joy is ours because we are no longer marked by our sins, but we are marked by Christ. He laid down himself so that we can be lifted high into eternity with him. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. So praise God for Christmas. Praise God that our Savior, the Savior of the world, came to save us from our sins. And we pray that you do enjoy the time with your family, the food, the cookies, all of that. We encourage you to join us tomorrow at 1030 as we look more into the Savior Jesus. But for now, we're going to finish the service by hopefully applying this message by singing out with joy, worshiping God, knowing that without him, we are dead in our sins. But humbly, we come to him and now we have joy and salvation. Let's pray and sing. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. That in him is life and life eternal. And that today and tomorrow, the joy and the happiness, the things that we feel and taste tomorrow, all the Christmas festivities are just a glimmer of the joy and life we have in you. Help us enjoy them and enjoy each other. We praise you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.